studying burnout has shown us is that having control over your job, over your work life, is such an important component of being satisfied, of not being burned out, that it it's it makes me sad for women like you and, and women now giving birth and trying to find balance, in particular in primary care. I think it's just there are more and more barriers to it, unfortunately. Welcome to Moms of Medicine. I'm your host, Allie Trainer, and that was Dr. Gila Kriegel. We talk about so much in this episode. We cover a recurring theme, part-time work, and her views on that and how it fit into her life, all the support she received from her colleagues and leadership, how she chose to stay part-time even when her kids got a little older, how the job of being a primary care doctor has changed so much since when she started, the shock of finding out she was having twins, being married to a physician and how she made time for her marriage, now having two kids who are physicians, her group of women physicians who support each other that they affectionately call the UMC or Underground Mothers Club. So much more we cover in this episode. I can't wait to share it with you. And with that, here's my interview with Dr. Gila Kriegel. All right. Well, um, Gila, thank you so much for joining me to do this podcast. Uh, I, I can't wait to chat with you a bit more. But before we get started, if you could just introduce yourself, share your name, uh, what you do for work, and a little bit about your life outside of work. Sure. So my name is Gila Kriegel. I'm a primary care doctor. I work at uh, Beth Israel in Healthcare Associates. Um, I've been there for many years. Um, and uh, my role there is a clinician. And I've also um, directed the quality improvement efforts there uh, and chaired that co-chaired that quality improvement committee for many years. So that's pretty much my work role. Um, and I am the mother of three grown and now married sons. <laughs> so also the mother-in-law of three wonderful daughter-in-laws. Um, I have a husband who's a cardiologist and um, I have a very rich life outside of medicine too. Yeah. That's great. Um, <clears throat> thank you for sharing that. And so you and I have spoken a little bit before today. Um, I, we actually, I don't think crossed paths while I was in residency at Beth Israel, but um, was with your son, Ari. So it was fun to, <clears throat> to hear from you and get a chance to chat with you. Um, and so the first thing I wanted to just kind of start off jumping right in is we had spoken briefly on the phone and you shared a little bit about what it was like when you were pregnant with your first son who we now know is Ari and um, what that was like kind of figuring out leave and how you wanted your work to look like after having him. Right. So I um, gave birth to Ari in 1989, just to contextualize this. And at that time, it was very important to me that I be able um, to be there in some capacity for him as he was growing up. And I was, at the time, one of a very small number of faculty in healthcare associates. We were about a dozen or so people, maybe a little more compared to over 60 now, I think. Wow. Um, and that was something that was important to me. I had been at, in the job for about three years at that point. And I went to my then chairman of the division and said that after my son was born, I would really very much like to try working part-time. And his response, which you have to put in the context of the time, was, yes, you should work part-time. Mm -hmm. My wife was always home with my children. 
Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. And it turned out that he was really very, very supportive of that decision for me and um, said that he would help me figure out a way to do it. At the time, I had an interesting job. I was working um, in a, as a primary care doctor, but also in what was then a walk-in clinic adjacent to the emergency room. And I was running that walk-in clinic and imagining what my career would be like, I told my boss, you know, I think I should drop the primary care part and do the walk-in. And he said to mm. me, I think you're wrong, do the opposite. And that was a huge benefit because what he told me is if you're doing primary care, you want those longitudinal relationships and you won't have that in a walk-in setting. And so I dropped the walk-in part and um, was able to be a part-time primary care doctor only because um, one of the absolute wisest, kindest primary care doctors who was working on my team at the time, Dr. Booker Bush, who's legendary, um, unfortunately left HCA a number of years ago, but he offered to cover my practice on the days that I wasn't working gratis. And in those days, it was amazing. And in those days that included rounding on my inpatients, including in the intensive care unit, Wow. And taking messages and phone calls and just being available when I wasn't there. And that allowed me to work part time. And I have so many questions already, but one of them is um, going back to when you told your boss that you wanted to work part time and he was like, that's great. Women should be home with their kids. Like, what did I have? I have so personally have so many conflicting feelings when I hear that because I myself am part time right now and did so because I want to be with my son, but there's this like little part of me that's like, well, but what if like, I should be able to do what I want to do, you know? So I'm, I'm just so curious, were you just, you know, like, oh, thank you. You get it. Or where there's a little part of you that bristled and was like, well, what if a woman doesn't want to be home? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know what I thought at the time. I think I was just relieved that I had asked for something that I wanted and that I got it because I didn't have a plan B. Yeah. And that, so that was wonderful. And at the time, I felt that because I had been in the job for a few years, I already had established myself. I was a known quantity, and it gave me the courage to even ask for something like that when there was no one else at the time doing that. Yeah. How did you come up with that idea if you didn't have someone before you working part time? Yeah, I, I just knew it's what I wanted to do. I knew that I, I couldn't imagine working full time and not being able to be there when my son was young. And I also imagined, as I think I told you, that I once he went to school, I would go back to full time. That was my intention. But here I am, 30 something years later, still working part time. Yeah. And the reasons for that decision and never stopped working part time. And those, that decision changed every four or five years when my kids were younger thinking, oh, you know, they had a half day in preschool, so I want to be there when they get home. Or when they go to school, I want to be able to go to after school activities, et cetera. And I never, and I, I felt at that time, there were a lot, most of the mothers were doing drop off and pick up. So even the logistics of carpooling five days a week was more than I could have handled. 
I needed to be able to do my share to be able to then get other mothers to help me. And I was very lucky that I lived near family who helped, but I found myself indebted to so many kind women who either themselves worked, but many of them who weren't working and just really kindly offered to drive my kids. Yeah. So I was very lucky. How did it go with asking people for that help? Because I know sometimes it can feel so hard to ask for help. And I'm asking for selfish reasons too, because we're in a similar situation where, yes, I'm part-time, but you know, physician hours, it doesn't matter. You can't always do pick up and drop off. And I've had scenarios recently where like my sister picks him up from daycare and then drops him at a neighbor house. And I'm just like texting everyone and I'm feeling stressed about it. So how did you do that? Right. How did you manage any Thanks sort of associated you emotions? Choose, you have to choose your people who you're going to ask very carefully. And you have to be willing to accept somebody saying no for whatever reason and not be, you know, put off by that to the point that you're not going to ask someone else and be willing to do something in exchange. I mean, I, I felt like very often that meant that I was doing something for the other person, but there were just like Booker Bush, some people, and I get choked up thinking about it, who just did it and didn't expect anything in return. And I'm just still forever indebted to some of those women who were willing, and it wasn't easy. I mean, they were driving three kids sometimes uh, in addition to their own. And I was very, very fortunate. Yeah. I'd love to dig in a little bit more to um, the emotion behind that. And you're, you know, talking about Booker Bush, um, because you had mentioned as well that when you were thinking of going part time, you were saying, okay, maybe I'll just do the walk in clinic. And I'm wondering if part of that was because potentially some thinking that then you won't have to manage a panel as much outside of work hours and rounding on patients in the ICU. So if you could tell me a little bit more about the thought process behind that and then also what it looked like having your colleagues cover you both logistically and from a you know human person aspect. Right. That Those are great questions. I think in the beginning, it looked like the easy way out. Just as you said, I wouldn't have to worry about patients being on my shoulders, responsible for them when I wasn't at work. And I think thanks to my chairman at the time, I, I realize now looking back that the, the reason I've been able to stay in this work for so long is the great joy of taking care of patients over a long period of time, taking care of families, multi three, I even have one or two, four generations wow. of patients. That's so amazing. It's so gratifying and I'm, I'm so fortunate to have been able to do it. I would say the job of a primary care doctor has changed hugely over the years. And so in the, in the years when Booker was doing it, yes, he was rounding on my inpatients, but the amount of paperwork and phone calls and messages has just jumped astronomically. And I can't imagine anyone agreeing, um, to do that without any kind of compensation. Although right for many, many years now, I've had a huge debt of gratitude to Joyce Jen, and we have cross covered each other for decades, but I cover her and she covers me. We don't get paid extra for that, but that has allowed us to continue to work part-time and 
our patients amazingly have been very accommodating and understanding. And I think part of being a patient today, but also in particular in, a prim- in an academic practice, patients are more accepting of the fact that you may not be there on the day that they call as yeah. long as answering the phone or attending to them. Um, and, and how has that worked with your part-time role evolving over time and, and being able to keep yourself truly part-time, not just in name, but in the amount of work you're doing? Because as you know, you mentioned before, before it's paper charts and less phone calls and in-basket messages. So it like you physically couldn't take the work home with you before. And now it's you really could and be technically part-time, but working full-time. And I also noticed when we were emailing back and forth, you have a, an away message that says, you know, I'm not in clinic Mondays and Thursdays. And so how have you been able to truly keep yourself part-time? Like, I, I think that's something that with prior guests I've spoken to talk about like this air quotes, part-time trap where you're paid for part-time work and then you're really working full-time. So how have you been able to protect that and keep yourself really part-time? I haven't. I, okay. <laughs> I I work I work seven days a week and that's where you know remote work is a little bit of a double-edged sword because it does allow you to leave earlier or come in later or work from home, all those things that are great. But last week on my quote unquote day off on Thursday, I my husband and I went skiing, which was great. Yeah. Um, but on the chairlift, he turned to me, we're under the bubble. He's like, you're working, aren't you? I said, yes, <laughs> I'm working. I was getting messages about patients and the call center does a good job, but sometimes they don't read the grid. They don't see someone else's covering. And I get these messages on my phone that say high priority patient needs you to call them right away. So it's very, very rare, uh, almost unheard of for me not to be logging in to the EMR. I mean, today's a day off. I've already been on the EMR. I've already gone to a remote meeting. Um, so it it's a fallacy. It's not, but I can, if I need to, disengage and no one is going to um, fault me for it. The issue is more than when I come in tomorrow, if I haven't caught up over the weekend and Monday, I'll never get through my work tomorrow. Yeah. But the job of, you know, they've studied this, that um, in, in order for a PCP to do a full-time PCP to do their job, they need 27 hours in a day. I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's impossible. So that's why those of us who are working part-time, you're really working what used to be full-time. Yeah. And those who are working full-time are crashing and burning everyone is burning out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I, um, am part-time in pulmonary clinic and get overwhelmed with the in-basket message and I'm dealing with one problem only. Right. <laughs> so it's, I can't even imagine. Um, and so going back a little bit, so we had kind of left off your story where you had talked to your chair about going part-time after having your first son, Ari. And so what was it like for you taking leave, coming back and then, we go forward and you get, you get pregnant again. So tell us about that. Right. So, um, I had Ari in 1989 uh, in September and in 1991, uh, in August, I gave birth to twins. So, um, when I found out that I was giving birth to twins, I just, <laughs> I literally, they did the ultrasound. I just about fell off the table. My yeah. husband had, with me and I just 
I could not process that information. I thought my life was over. My professional life was over. And the the um, person who was running our practice at the time for years and years talked about how I went in to tell him that I was pregnant and just broke down in tears. I never thought I would be able to sustain my um, my professional life. It was it seemed insurmountable going from one to three and three in diapers. But um, again, I, I think I had wonderful support at home and wonderful support in the office and I was able to do it. But there was a, much in some ways it was just easier back then. You know, yeah, I you think I did. I said I was going back to work for four months and that was it. I just said I'm coming back and January after I gave birth in August, I sort of randomly decided that. And I, you know, I get it to some extent because um, the more people there are, I was the only one or one of very few who was doing that, uh, that it was easier to say yes and harder when it, it's a lot of people doing it. But one of the things that our studying burnout has shown us is that having control over your job, over your work life, is such an important component of being satisfied of not being burned out that it it's it makes me sad for women like you and and women now giving birth and trying to find balance in particular in primary care i think it's just there are more and more barriers to it unfortunately yeah it's so interesting um hearing about your perspective because i think in some ways things have gotten better, but to your point, some things have gotten more challenging. And one of the things you and I had briefly chatted about when we talked on the phone was that two of your three children have gone into medicine. So it seems like in some ways having two physician parents was not a detriment to them in any way, but rather inspiring. And you were expressing some you know, questions about what a life in medicine will look like for them. And I was hoping you could share a little bit more, uh, kind of just reflecting on what it must have been like for your two kids or your three kids having two physician parents and how it inspired two yeah. of them. But you just, it looks so different now. You don't know what kind of a life it'll be for them. Yeah, I think we were able to find a, a really nice balance. We had full-time live-in help, which was great. I think because of COVID and costs and so many things, many young parents are not able to afford that. And that meant I didn't have to do drop off at daycare and pick up at daycare. So that was wonderful. I had a nanny who would prepare their dinner for them. My husband and I would eat separately. We He had Thursday afternoons off and I was off Thursday. We would have date night every Thursday night. I we had that. built babysitting. So I think what our kids saw was that we were home for dinner every night. We were enjoying each other's company. We took great vacations. We sort of made it work, you know, and we talked a lot about our work around the house. And I think they heard that we were, it's one of the great things I think about being married to someone in medicine. They really understand what you're going through and you can discuss cases and challenges in a way that I think can be very difficult if you're not both in medicine doesn't mean it can't happen, but yeah. Um, so I think that's why they chose careers in medicine. Um, and I think so far so good, but I do feel like I'm, I said to Ari, who's a hospitalist, I'm, I'm glad you didn't go into primary care because it really 
I would love to tell more people to go into primary care, but I, I'm, I'm not optimistic that we figured out how to do what we did, make it a, a really wonderful life. So many doctors don't tell their kids. My father was a doctor, but mm. so many physicians now tell their, say to us, I didn't want my kid to be a doctor. Too stressful. So. Yeah. I'm curious if you could tell me a little bit more about those thoughts, particularly through the lens of, you know, women and, you know, people having children and balancing that with career and, and your particular reflections on primary care and what you think has changed and what we could improve to make it a sustainable career. Uh, that's <laughs> too big of a question. <laughs> uh, lately, I've, I, I talked to a colleague recently who said we should um, unionize, mm. which I do think about just the rights of the physician um, to be able to also have a life outside of medicine. Um, I, I really think we need better support as primary care doctors and less of an eye on the, the money and the RVUs and the documentation. Um, I don't know. I don't have the answers. I wish I did. I, I think my son who's in psychiatry will have more autonomy I think Ari has a little more control over a schedule that has a beginning and an end time. And for us in primary care, I, I leave earlier and earlier. I'm working all day long. Um, patients are, are very demanding at times. Um, and you've, it, it's hard. I don't have an answer. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, no, <laughs> it's okay. If the answer was easy, then maybe somebody would have figured it right. out by now. Yeah, <laughs> it. Um, I mean, but it's a great of... career. You know, I have a great job. I'm I'm not burned out. I, I want to say yeah. that I am not burned out. I love my patients. I love the quality improvement work that I do. I find it incredibly gratifying. I think that being able to sustain what I have been able to do looks to be harder and harder for new mm -hmm. faculty, and I don't know why that is, but even being able to go to conferences. People don't have the time. That used to be built into our schedules. Our sessions went from three hours to three and a half to four. That spills into five, documenting, following up on labs. It just, it's snowballed the minutes uh, that people spend in a day. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I'm kind of looking back, you and I have been emailing as well. And there were a couple of things that you had highlighted that you might have some things you'd feel comfortable sharing on. And one that I was hoping you could tell me a little bit more about was um, deal how you dealt with feeling pressure from society and opinions from colleagues about your career choices and family choices. Yeah. So um, I think, you, as I said about all these things, you need to have a little bit of a tough skin, but you also need to find like-minded people. And I was, I did get permission from my colleagues um, to talk about our, um, what we call the UMC, which was Underground Mothers Club. <laughs> and it was started decades ago um, by one of my colleagues who recognized that there were several of us women in the Division of 
general medicine and healthcare associates who were mothers and for whom being a mother was as important as academic success and suggested that maybe we could support each other in trying to find that balance. And that started so many years ago. And we met regularly, four of us, um, each very, very different backgrounds. So we, we would go out to dinner at local restaurants after work and just talk about our kids, about our work, about our vacations. There were, you know, we had agendas only so much as we would come with things we wanted to share. But I used to say, if somebody looked over at the table, they would say, what an ethnic mix we have here. So it was for primary care doctors, but um, we were very ethnically diverse and different and yet bonded on so many levels. And we just set up another meeting um, to on Zoom shortly. Oh, it's and still going. Yeah, we're still That's doing awesome. it. Um, and two have left the practice and one is still there, but we are still very much supportive of each other and turn to each other when, when we need something. So that has been really one of the sustaining forces for me and my professional career is having these other women. And not only those three, but that's really been sustained over years and years, but many, many other, both male colleagues, but to, to a large extent, the female colleagues that I've worked with where there's sort of an unspoken bond that you develop over um, the challenges of trying to have it all um, and <laughs> what the reality is. And, and I think, you know, for me, I, I was never super ambitious, but maybe when I went into academics, I assumed that promotion would come uh, at some point. And especially in the Harvard system, that's really <laughs> pie in the sky. But yeah. I, as a mother working part-time, doing a lot of clinical work, you have to let go of that. And one of my colleagues said, you, you have to let go of looking at people you've trained who are climbing that ladder and just say, that's not the trajectory that I'm on. And, and some people struggle with it. I don't, I only struggled with it when I would see someone else sort of get the next level, the next level and say, hmm, I wonder if I could have, or maybe I couldn't have, you know, that imposter syndrome that never Sadly, never, never goes, goes away. <laughs> never goes away. It's good they have a name for it, but um, it, I don't think it goes away. It, it hasn't for me, anyway. Yeah, it's um, I I think the the name UMC. It's of course just kind of coming up with a fun name, but it's interesting too. This concept that being a mother at work has to be a little bit underground, um, mm -hmm. and you had to have these private secret meetings outside of work. Um, do you still feel like that in some ways that you need to, in some sense, hide your, um, how important it is being a mother to you at work or with time and culture changes, you're like, oh, this is me. I'm, <laughs> I'm a proud part-time good mom and good doctor. Yeah, I think I've let go of it. I don't know how much of it is culture change, how much is just getting older and not caring <laughs> if I'm being judged quite as much. Yeah. And being comfortable saying, you know, it's my son's wedding. I'm taking off an extra day so that I can recover. Uh, mm. I do that and happily so. Um, one thing I we didn't mention uh, in our pre-conversation, but mm. I, at least in primary care for me, the other 
group that has been incredibly supportive are the nurses. And yeah, tell me about that. Something, yeah, well, you know, when I was a medical student, a resident, not a medical student, a resident, I think it was, there was a little bit of tension between female physicians and nurses. Um, and that may have been a sense of the times because many of those nurses had sort of grown up without too many female physicians. And here we were, and there was just a tension. And I think I carried that into my job a little bit. Um, And patients, of course, you know, think you're the nurse that I don't know if that happens anymore, but it used to happen all the time. It does still happen. Were a doctor, I thought you were. So, but now I find that the nurses are a huge support for me. And one of the things I love to do is go in and speak with our nurses. Um, They're the best. They give me the most support and interest and um, they really hold down the fort for our patients. So big shout out to nurses, not just for the patients, but for me as a doctor. And I, I think for your listeners, you know, taking the time to get to know the nursing staff is such, and I'm, I guess I'm being sexist because most of our, all of our nurses are women right now. Um, but they're one, they're just a wonderfully supportive group for me over the years. And I would encourage people to look to the nurses for support. I love that lens. Cause I think we're oftentimes looking, you know, towards physicians who are ahead of us in their career to be mentors and then outside of work, your family or childcare to help. Um, but there's a lot of resources at work and people who are going through similar experiences, even if they're not in the physician field, just medical field in general, who can probably relate to your experiences and be willing to help you out. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking down at my notes to, to, um, make sure I don't miss anything. Um, I was wondering too, if you could maybe share a little bit more about, you know, you talked about your relationship with your husband and being able to, you know, talk about your job at home and have your Thursday date nights, which is something I would, I would love to incorporate in my own life. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Highly recommend. Yeah. But how did you, how did you make it work when you had, you know, three kids in, diapers and you're both physicians and he he's a cardiologist right right I'm not sure how much we did way way back then but very quickly when they were a little bit older uh that became our our night out yeah Um, and uh it just you you know there's certain things that are I was very much sort of uh, (laughs) a a person who believed in rules when my kids were younger and then they, you know, it switched to guidelines as they got older, (laughs) sort of a letting go. (laughs) You want them to individuate, but uh, that was, you know, they just had to understand mommy and daddy need their time for themselves. And, and that was good because they also had enough of us, I think in other ways and other times that they didn't feel resentful of the fact that we were going out. And I got, I had a lot of babysitting help. I got advice from my mother-in-law. She said like, this is what you're going to spend your money on now. So I had full-time live-in help, but then during the witching hour um, on my work days, I would have somebody else come in to spell the nanny. I'd get Mm. like a school kid from three to six. I paid them 20 bucks, you know, in those days to just play with my kids or do homework with my kids on my work days which was great. So all those were sort of life-saving things. I wrote a note here that I, 
this was how I viewed it as a part-time parent that I had to keep reminding myself that really those years go by in a blink. And even if you have good help and family help and good nanny, you're the only one who can really be the mother to your child. And we sometimes, for all kinds of societal reasons, I think overinflate our own importance at work. And I think realizing that another person can do what we do at work, but no one else can do what we do at home. And that I think has been something I have to keep reminding myself because uh, you can't farm that out in the same way you can tell someone, look, here's a patient with X, Y, and Z, and they know what to do with it. So not, I need to hear that reminder frequently as well. Um, You know, it's hard when you get all these inbox messages and you're like, you know, but it's okay to delegate and, and it's okay to cut yourself some slack. I think a lot of us are type A and have this superwoman complex. I can do it all. And one of my sisters said to me, you know, if you were easier on yourself, you'd be easier on other people. And Mm. I keep reminding myself, you know, just don't expect to be able to do everything and don't expect anybody else to do everything. That That's one of the hard things when you have live-in help in particular. You can't, ex- or even whatever kind of help you have in your home or a daycare, you can't expect them to do what you would do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so if you thought if you were a full-time mother that you would have your kids make their bed every day and put their dishes in the dishwasher, but the person you hire can't sustain that that's okay yeah eventually they learn yeah <laughs> or not but it's not the yeah. end of the world so yeah you got to put it in perspective yeah I'm curious do you have any um I think you've already shared so much wisdom wisdom but do you have any particular anecdotes from maybe when your kids were little or um you know when they were deciding to become doctors themselves that seem particularly poignant memories to you about um you know what the experience was like? Um, well, I think I shared with you that little mother, um, yes. Mother's Day card so <laughs> I, is hanging in my office. And um, it was basically Ari, he was probably in preschool or kindergarten, something like that. I came home with this Mother's Day card that um, basically showed to me how important it was to him that I was there, but also his acceptance of the fact that I wasn't there all the time. So I think I have it here. I'm going to try and find it. Yeah, here it is. Um, so it had mother along the the left side vertically. And M was mom takes care of me. O on Mondays and T Thursdays. <laughs> she is H home. E every time she is R right there to take care of me so it was sort of okay he gets it he's accepting that I'm not and to this day I don't work on Mondays and Thursdays so we're talking on a Monday and he it was okay it made me feel like this is okay but it's also important and I had this commute um, which has gotten worse and worse over the years but it was always a pretty long commute and I felt like it was so important to me to get out of my work head and into my home head 
during the time that I was in my car. And I would just feel that transition about halfway that I was sort of slowly letting go of work. And then the what do I need to do at home stuff um, piling up. Yeah. Did you have a system for how you would kind of do that disconnecting from work on your way home or it was just a natural process when you're sitting in your car? (laughs) It was necessity. You know, you want to be fully present in both places, which is really hard. And now it's even harder because everybody has nanny cams and cell phones. But for me, we didn't have any of that. So I couldn't check in what was happening with my kids. And in some ways, that was a good thing. It really was. I can say being on the other side of that, I could see how that could be a good thing because I'll be like, I know I'll know my son is having a rough day and I'll be like, oh, let me check and see if he's napping. Okay. And it, I can't do anything right. to help the nap. I should just not look. <laughs> yeah, I would tell myself if something bad were happening, they would find me and then yeah. just disengage from what was happening at home, which was hard. Totally. Um, healthy, I think for me anyway, I don't know <laughs> because you, yeah. you not there. What can you do? Right. Uh, um, you know, unless you're going to get on the phone or FaceTime with them, I guess people do that now. That was certainly never an option. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you do that? Am I, I don't get on FaceTime because yeah. it will upset him. Um, <laughs> so I don't do that. Thankfully he's at daycare now and they actually don't have nanny cams there, which um, I appreciate because I would be checking on it too much. So it's, I think it's good to disconnect. <laughs> it, it really is, you know, yeah. work and you, you've, when you first go back to work after maternity leave, you find you're thinking about your kid all day long. You're worried. And then one day this happened. Now I may never have happened to you. I remember going through the whole day and not thinking about my kid. And it was, that was also a double-edged sword. Like, Whoa, how did that happen? But it means you're, you're really in where you're supposed to be at work. Yeah. And now it's much harder to do that. I feel bad. I do. I, I think it's harder today than connected. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. It's hard. Um, you know, we, I think we've touched on most of the things that we had chatted about previously, but we do have a little bit of time left. So I don't know if there's anything else that you think we missed that you really want to share about your personal story or a message that you have to share with people who are trying to make it work. Yeah. I think not to be discouraged to find other people who you can talk to, who understand, ideally people you work with, whether it's the nursing staff or other physicians, and to make that a priority. You know, figuring out what your priorities are is probably one of the hardest things and then sticking to it. Um, it, And it's so easy to let go of one thing or another, you know, your marriage can really go down the tubes if you are focusing on work and focusing on your kids. And so having that one day a week where we knew we were going to be together without our kids, I think was very sustaining. Having other hobbies outside of work um, where you're taking care of yourself. Uh, So, you know, for me, that's sports um, of one type or another. You know, now I have a daily yoga practice that I do. Um, I can't say I did that when my kids were younger, but something I was at, always went to a gym or did something where you, you don't feel like you're always giving, 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 giving it because we have chosen careers where that's what we're doing. And then when you have children, that's what you're doing until 
they get older and then they start taking care of you, which is, I wish it for everyone. It's a great feeling. Um, yeah. Mm. When Are they your become, sons all close by still? They're all local and um, yeah, they're great. You know, we, they can plan a vacation now. It's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> That's and we took, you know, family vacations for us. We did motorhome trips, which oh, nice. if you have sons, I highly recommend yeah. camping, motorhoming because uh, it's it's just an easier way to travel with young kids. But uh, we still vacation with them, and now they do a lot of the planning. So it's great having them local, and they all marry local girls. So hopefully, that means they'll stay local. I if hope you're so. <laughs> boys, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they know how we feel. But yes. uh, and I will say, you know, having a community outside of medicine is also something for us. It was our religious community. We sent our we're Jewish and we um, had a synagogue, you know, that we went to every week. And we have a community there that our kids school was a Jewish day school. So we had a community there. And I think those are things that really enrich your life. Being too isolated is not good, especially when you have young kids. We have family locally. My husband, four of his, uh, three out of his four siblings live locally. So we had a lot of family and my kids had a lot of cousins. So the more you can get support at work, out of work, in your community, the more likely you are, I think, to find balance and sustain your relationship and your, and your job. <laughs> so. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it was lovely chatting with you. I enjoyed every minute of this. <laughs> Thank you once again for listening. If you liked today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating or review so that other people can find us. Tune in in two weeks where I'll have another episode for you. And in the meantime, if you have someone you think would make a great guest or think you would be a great guest yourself, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram, Twitter, or send me an email at momsofmedicine at gmail.com.